You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This is A's Cast Live, your comprehensive look at the Oakland Athletics. Drive to deep center field, going back Hernandez at the track, right to the wall, gone! Elvis Andrews! And 29 other MLB clubs. High drive, deep left field, Guerrero lifts one to left field and gone! Oh, Tani, that was a moonshot out there in the right center. Alonzo defends his title, the 2021 Derby champion. Join us as we take you inside the baseball universe from OPS Plus to juiced balls to game-changing moments. We have you covered. Spend your afternoon with us next from the town, only on A's Cast Live. Here's Chris Townsend. Oh, yeah, a little A's cast live, getting you ready for a little day of baseball here on our streaming 24-7 station. And, of course, then we'll be going to A's Total Access, and we'll also be on the A's radio network. A lot to talk about today. Our good buddy, Bip Roberts, from NBC Sports California is going to be by. And then I don't think I've seen Commander Cody so excited about a segment. We're going to be doing one of our top 10 segments. It's going to be a tribute to the great Ray Fossey, to the great Dennis Eckersley. Top 10 guys who were both Indians and Oakland Athletics. So, And, and when you start going over the list, it's pretty impressive how many guys played in Cleveland and in Oakland. But did you really have to start me off with some horrible news that we could have some weather problems in Cleveland tonight and a little rain delay theater? I did. Uh, well, I figured I'd give you a heads up why, rather than. Why, why would you do that? Well, would you rather know now than find out right when you're about to start uh, Ace Total Access? It's better to know now and mentally prepare for it. It's East Coast, man. It's August. It's, it's going to be raining. Uh, it's just, it's just, you it, you know what the reality is? And, you know, all these towns wouldn't want to admit it, but everywhere outside of California should have a retractable roof. Sorry, Wrigley. Sorry, Fenway. Sorry, Yankee Stadium. Cleveland, Detroit, they all should have retractable roofs. I mean, look at the difference a retractable roof is going to make for the Texas Rangers. I mean, Eric Nadell, the Hall of Fame broadcaster, joined us, went, oh, my God, air conditioning. We're going to play all 81 games. I mean, that the old ballpark's beautiful that's sitting right across the street. But they have such weather issues. Remember, Eric was telling us a story about how it was raining so hard outside. They could hear the thunder and the lightning. They got the game in because they got a roof now. I mean, there's been a lot of weather issues in the Northeast and the Midwest this year. I mean, if you're not Oakland, if you're not L.A., if you're not San Diego, you should have a roof over your head. And you can have the retractable roof, so on sunny days, you have the bright sunshine. Uh, what time do we want to get to Bip Roberts? Uh, we got about, I don't know, two or three minutes, because Feldy's going to call us at 225 to, to talk about the uh, – the list of greatest A's and Indians. Buying or selling, uh, Mike Aldretti will make the list of greatest A's slash Indians of all time. How long was he with the Indians? Uh, he played one season there. He hit 262, and he hit one home run. That was 1991. <laughs> he might. He might. I, I know a couple guys who for sure are going to make it. But I'm not going to spoil the party whatsoever. By the way, something that I'm going to talk to Bip Roberts about in moments, if you believe in the athletic, and I don't remember exactly when that article was, but it was an article saying pitchers are throwing strikes at a record rate. They're coming right after you. You know, the confidence with the sticky stuff, you know, this is before they outlawed the spider tack and all that. But they're coming after you. 
And that that whole money ball, let's walk our way to wins. Do I care how you get on base? Yes, I do now because they're pounding the strike zone. And if you're up there looking, you're going to be down 0-2-1-2 really fast. So right before the show, after we got done taping BIP, I asked the commander, who leads Major League Baseball in walks? And how does that translate to runs scored? So, which team has walked more than anybody else? Who is that team? That would be the New York Yankees. So, the New York Yankees have walked more than anybody in baseball. So, back in the day... As Brad Pitt playing Billy Bean would say, do I care how you get on base? No, I don't. Well, that philosophy is pretty much dead. Because the New York Yankees rate 22nd in runs scored. There's 21 teams in baseball who have scored more runs than the New York Yankees. Because they don't hit. They strike out. They walk. The three true outcomes are not leading to runs scored. So if you want to sit there and you want to walk, good luck. You want to know who scored the most runs in baseball? That'd be the Houston Astros. Do you you know what categories the Houston Astros lead in, by the way, Commander? Uh, They probably have the fewest amount of strikeouts. Uh, They got the most hits. They got the best batting average. Yeah, they have the fewest amount of strikeouts at 863. Huh. So, I mean, is that philosophy kind of dead? The kind of money ball? Let's just, you know, get get a bunch of guys who get on base. Because the Houston Astros aren't, aren't, aren't waiting around for a walk. I mean, the Yankees, wouldn't you say, are a three true outcome team? Oh, totally. Now with Joey Gallo on the, in the mix. If you look, before we get to BIP, if you look closely at the teams that have the lowest batting averages in baseball, it goes, I'll go 30 through 25 quickly. Mariners, Rangers, Brewers, the Brewers who are leading the NL Central, then Cubs, Diamondbacks, Mets, then Indians, Pirates, A. So there's two right now. If the playoffs started today, there are two playoff teams out of those teams that is listed that are in there, the bottom of the league in batting average. And then you have the Cardinals, and then the Rays and Yankees. The Rays and Yankees both strike out at an alarming rate. (laughs) The Rays strike out a lot. Um, But they don't have a lot of contact guys either. But the Yankees, for sure, are a three-true outcome team. Now they added Joey Gallo, who has uh, a lot of strikeouts since he joined the team. It was, what, 19? Going into yesterday's game when we talked about it, and they played today, too. Uh, against the Royals. So, yeah, hey, by, by the way, remember when everybody was calling, oh, the A's need a trade for Joey Gallo. What's he hitting right now? He's hitting under 220. Yankees currently beating the Royals 5-2, and the Astros currently beating the Colorado Rockies 5-1. All righty, let's get to my man. I he One of my favorite players growing up. I, I got to see a lot of Bip Roberts. I, I loved him as a player. Uh, he's a fantastic guy. He's turned into a really good broadcaster with NBC Sports California, the former all-star. Yes, and also Indian and A. Will he make the list? Commander. Great question, because he was on that 97 Cleveland Indian World Series team that lost to the Florida Marlins. Uh, it's a great question for Feldy, who will be up in 17 minutes. So, Here is my conversation with Bip Roberts. Bip, you know we love having you on the program. How are you, buddy? Man, Tony, I am living the dream, as people say, man. It's beautiful California right now, and covering the A's, I mean, I'm just a kid in the candy store right now. Just how much fun has it been for someone like yourself covering this team for NBC Sports California since the trades were made and truly changed the lineup? It's been Tony, exciting to the match. You know, for a long time, we've covered the A's, and we've never had a talent like Starlin Marte show up. A guy that takes you. Here's a guy that could play in any era because he's got a short, quick bat, and he can stay inside the ball and use the entire field, but use his speed, find ways to get on base. 
play a great outfield. He's a throwback player playing in today's age. And you see what type of talent that is that we haven't seen in so long? We saw the home run or the strikeout. But to have a guy like this who can play in every era has totally changed the face of this ball club in just two weeks. The two weeks he's been here, he's been one of the best players I've seen with the Oakland A's in probably the last 10 years. And, and you think about just how tough he is to defend because of everything you just said. He can hit, he can bunt, he can run. There's so many different things, you know, top, you know, and, and it's really like the guys you played with and you uh, played against back in the day where you, you speed comes to the ballpark and you put pressure on the defense. And that's what he does. Yeah, yeah. Just talk. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's like he could have been playing with you in the eighties. Oh, man, you know, he reminds me of Marquise Griffin a lot because Marquise could use the entire field. He could hit with some power. He's still your 70, 80 bags a year. And he was a gold glove center fielder. And, you know, it's just one of those things where in our era, we had a lot of guys who played that way and they were successful. And then baseball changed his way of home runs and strikeouts. But Marte, he just, he's a throwback to me. And when I watch him play, it just excites me to see a guy who can do everything. You know, watching the other day, hits the ball hard to right field. Then he comes up late in the ball game, and he gets a slider inside, and he just drops the bat head on it and hits it out the yard. Just doing the little things with the bat. He's quiet more with the lower bottom, and he stays inside the ball, and he hits the ball where it's pitched. He lets the ball travel deep, as we always talk about as hitters, and he just serves the ball where it's pitched. He looks fastball, and he adjusts the breaking ball. You don't see him many times take a fastball right down the middle because he's not, he's not a guest hitter. He has an approach. He sticks to his approach every day, and that's what professional hitters do. You know, I, I, I never had the opportunity to steal a lot of bases because uh, I didn't have the foot speed like you did, Bipster. But I, I, I'm thinking, you know, when he gets on first base, everybody knows he's going. What is that like? Because I know you were able to do that. What is that like when everybody in the ballpark knows you're stealing second base and they can't stop you? It just pumps you up. You can hear the crowd basically saying, go, go, go. And then all of a sudden you get this extra adrenaline flow and you're like, I'm getting ready to go. Let me pick a pitch that I can go. When I watch it, but see, back then we had the slide step and we had pitch outs. Tommy, when's the last time you've seen a pitch out? <laughs> Can you tell? <laughs> when's the last time you've seen a pitch out? Well, they, they hey, pitch hey, out I, I'm telling you right now, there's kids listening right now that go, what's a slide step? <laughs> and what's a pitch out? They don't do that anymore. So right now he's caught the game at a good time where guys like him can take advantage of this. I mean, he is running every time he gets on base. And, yeah, we had a close play at second base yesterday, but he was safe, you know. And, and the bottom line is that here's a guy, again, that catches this era of baseball kind of at that point where they're starting to look again and go, we need athletes on the field. And the A's did that. They got Josh Harrison. They got Marte that go along with the other guys who are capable of doing the job. So they just added some real timely pieces that make this team look more athletic than it did at the beginning of the season. How would you handle relievers today? Because they're not even looking at you. Like, they do not care. They're not worried about holding you on. They just want to strike everybody out. How would you deal with that as a base dealer? I'd go every time I got an opportunity. You know, you sit there and you just pick up a guy's tendencies. You know, they look at you one time, then they go to the plate, then they look at you two times, and then they go to the plate. Real deliberate. They're not quick to the plate at all. And if you're at second, you can steal third base before he even decides to throw to the plate. I mean, it's just so one of those things where I watched and I, and I caught a glimpse of what uh, Andrus was doing one day. He had his glasses on, but he wasn't looking at the pitcher when he was on first. He was looking at the catcher, and he was able to pick up what the catcher was doing. And this is why these guys get great jumps. Pitchers just don't come over there quickly like they used to. So now you got time to look at the catcher. He sets up. He calls him. He, he puts the finger down. He sets up. Oh, that's a breaking ball. He's got to get in position to block it. Oh, that's a breaking ball. Boom, you go. Easy stolen base. And so they just make it so obvious, again, because the running game has been in the dark for so long. 
not a guy that's starting to run. They're picking up the tendencies of the catcher more so than the pitcher. I can't even imagine what Ricky Henderson would do. Tim Ring, <laughs> uh, Maury Wills. I can't even imagine what these guys would do in this era. They would still 100 a year easy and wouldn't be tired, you know. And, I, and I'm sure the man of steel wouldn't even have to go head first. He probably could go in feet first because he would be in by 15 feet. <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, it's just, it's just amazing how Andrews gets a great jump. Marte gets a great jump. Harrison, they get great jumps because, again, they're ahead of the game right now. The game has slowed down so much that they don't worry about pitch outs. Catcher doesn't worry about setting up. And then these guys can pick it up. These guys are great base dealers. And, and, and they're, they're great base dealers because they pick up the little things when they're on first base or on second base. So that gives them a big advantage. And that's an advantage that the A's, they get in the playoffs. That's a big advantage that they could take, take advantage of in the playoffs. Do you think at some point that baseball is going to have to make changes to realize you've got to control the running game or it's just going to kill you? <laughs> I think they're going to have to start working on pickoff moves again and being quick, quick footed and throwing the first base. I mean, cause we used to have guys that, that had some great moves back in our day. You couldn't just get out there and okay, I'm going to steal. They have some moves that would have you looking like, what was he doing? That's a ball. Oh, no, that's not a ball. See, that's a great call. I mean, that's a great pickoff move. And so you had to understand that even right-handers had quick feet and could step off that mound and throw the first base. So you had to always feel your toes to be able to get back. But I don't see that now. You know, you got guys who are bigger now. And so maybe they're not as swift with feet, with the foot as, with the footwork as these guys were, you know. Maybe they're 6'3", 6'5", 6'7", you know, 250 pounds. They're not going to be twinkle toes on the mound. So, you know, I think that these base runners, they just have an advantage right now. Take advantage until baseball decides that, you know what, we're going to play a game to the, we're going to pay attention to the running game again. So we've got to work on our pickoff moves. But, I don't see that coming this season. So the A's right now, Marte, Andrus, Harrison, hey, keep your track shoes on because they could steal a lot of bases. You know, back in your era, if it was August and you were hitting 213, you would be gone. You wouldn't be playing. But we're in an era now, Bip, that we got guys that full season, they're hitting under 200, around 200, below 220. Is there... Is there a time, do you think, a player can just say, to hell with it, I'm not going to worry uh, what the average and what the scoreboard says. I'm just going to concentrate on the here and now. Is that easy to do or too tough to do? You know, Tony, you, you, you said a mouthful right there, and that's what happens. The guys come to the season, they start up hot, and then all of a sudden they cool off, and they go down and hit rock bottom. And that's when you got to say, you know what, I'm a better player than this. And you just got to throw caution to the wind and say, whatever happens, happens. And you keep that attitude. You know, you don't become a guest hitter. You know, because I remember one time playing with Jack McKeon. I hit a fly ball to center field. And I remember running off the field and I heard him say, Robert, you keep hitting fly balls like that and you'll be sitting right next to me. Okay, I got you. We want results. We don't want this analytic, oh, he hit the ball hard four out of five times, but he was 0 for 4. I don't want that. We want results. If you hit the ball hard four times, we need two hits off those four hard hit ground balls or hard hit whatever. But I think when you see guys taking fastballs right down the middle or missing fastballs right down the middle, a lot of times it's because they're trying to pull pitches that you cannot pull. You know, you got to stay inside the ball and make solid contact. You pull breaking balls. You look for fastball and you adjust the breaking ball. So the breaking ball speeds up your bat and now you're able to drive one out the yard. But hitters should be looking try, to try to hit the ball in the gaps. Right-handed, look the right center gap. Left-handers, look the left center gap and adjust from that. Therefore, you stay on the fastball. But I see guys guessing because analytics say this guy throws this pitch 40% of the time. This guy throws this pitch 30% of the time. I don't care about that at all. All I want to do is see the ball, see where it's pitched, and have the muscle memory to have the swing for that pitch. I don't care what he throws. And if I get off the fastball, now I'm in jeopardy of striking out because I put myself in a situation where now I'm looking for breaking ball, and if he throws fastball, he throws it right by me. So you have to sit on fastball, and then you make adjustments to breaking ball. 
that's been a cardinal rule of baseball since baseball started. As far as a hitter, you never get off the fastball. You stay on it until a guy shows you he can throw his secondary pitches for call strikes. And when that happens, now you make the adjustment, look fastball, and adjust the breaking ball. You know, I think about that philosophy of taking pitches and – there was kind of that belief. It really kind of happened late 90s, early 2000s, where, hey, let, let, let's see a lot of pitches and get into the bullpen. Well, now teams want to get into their bullpen. Teams want their bullpen out there faster than ever. And, and we have seen the data shows guys are throwing strikes. So if you go yeah, up yeah. there looking, you're going to be down 0-2-1-2 really fast. And just talk about that as a hitter, how if you're always in a pitcher's count, you're in trouble. You are definitely in trouble. These relievers come in now, and they're bringing it. They're bringing that fastball, and they may have another second pitch. But as a hitter, if you go up there and you're looking, okay, I'm going to take a pitch, boom, you're 0-1. Now he's got you set up where he wants you. Now he can move the ball in or away. He can change speeds on you if he's got that secondary pitch. Or he can throw his fastball, which I still believe is the best pitch, through your weakness. Because now he's got you 0-1, he throws to your weakness, you foul it off, now it's 0-2. Now he comes with a secondary pitch that might be a slider, pretty good slider, that looks like a fastball in the same zone, you chase the strike three. So now you've really given him two strikes to work with instead of you having three swings. I'd rather have three swings than, two, than, than one swing at a pitcher who could throw 100-plus with a secondary pitch, which is a slider. So my thing is, you go up there, you know what he's going to throw, if he throws your first pitch fastball, you better be ready to jump on it. If it's a first pitch fastball and it's a ball, now if he comes back in that same zone, you should be ready for that ball. But if he comes back with a secondary pitch and it's not a call strike, I'm going to eliminate that pitch all the way and I'm just going to sit on fastball. So you got to have an idea and approach what it is you're trying to do. You can't make it up at the plate, even though you make adjustments to every pitch. You still have to work that approach and you work that approach because that's the what you do, as Tony Gray used to say. You do what you do at the plate and don't worry about what the other guys do. You do what you do at the plate, and the most of the times you'll get good results. You know, pretty crazy. Speaking of your old teammate, Tony Gwynn, the Hall of Famer, we had Tony Gwynn Jr. on the program, and we had him on the field. And the minute he opens up his mouth, he sounds exactly like his father. It is, it is so, I, you know, as somebody who grew up in San Diego, Bip, and I grew up watching you guys, the minute he starts talking, you're like, oh, my God, he sounds just like his dad. It's crazy. Yeah, little Anthony sounds just like Big Tony. You know, it, it's, it is amazing. I watched a lot of the Padre games because I can get those channels. And when he's doing the game, I'm like, Man, he sounds just like his dad, man. He sounds just like you. So, you know, Tony will never, uh, his voice will always be heard because it's in his son's voice. And, and little Gwen, little, little Anthony told me one day as he was in, near the end of his career, he said he didn't know what he was going to do after he retired. And I think we were doing an A's game and he was playing with, I don't know, maybe it was Texas or something. And he looked across the field and he saw me doing the pregame show. And he said, I can do that. That's what I can do. And so when I saw him at his, uh, you know, uh, Miss Templeton, uh, Gary Templeton's wife's funeral, he came up to me and he told me that story. He said, I didn't know what I was going to do until I saw you, big bro. And I, I knew what I was going to do then. So he was like, thank you for, you know, opening the door for me, one that I didn't even know could be open. And so it was just, it just made me feel good to know that, you know, little guys like that are watching what we do. And then what we're doing, they're trying to emulate or try to find their way and if they don't know how to find their way, they look and they see one of us doing something, then they know that that's something that they can do. And so it just made me feel good to know that I helped him out, even though Pops wasn't around anymore. He still got guys around that he can look to and say, you know what, I can do what he's doing because I've been there before. And it, it just, again, it just made me feel good to hear him say that. And I wish him all the luck in the world. Anytime he needs me, he, know, he knows where I'm at. Yeah, it was a great story in The Athletic about, Tony Gwynn starting his career in Walla Walla, Washington with John <laughs> Cruck, two of your old teammates. Uh, but to think about that, and, and the thing that's funny about Tony Gwynn, they all knew this guy isn't going to be here very long. Oh, they knew that. Yeah, they knew that. He comes in there back then and Tony could run, you know, Tony could do everything. And he was just one of those guys that could have played NBA basketball, but he chose baseball. 
And he had played, I remember playing when he was playing at San Diego State and he'd come right out there to the baseball field and he just takes off like he hadn't missed any spring practice. It was just natural to him. And he just, he just knew right then that this guy is special. And when he got to the big leagues, it just carried over to his career. And as you know, eight-time batting champion and a guy that basically could hit 330 every year. And one year I watched him, and if it wasn't for the strike, he would have been the last guy to hit 400 because he was on fire that year. Well, before you get out of here, uh, we want to sell some houses. H- how can people get a hold of you? 925-548-3918. Um, I'm, I'm waiting for some of those calls to come in. Uh, I'm ready to work. You know, it's the, the market is hot. If you want to put your house up, we can get you almost three times what it's worth. And if you want to buy one, we'll have to bid on those houses. This is a tough market right now, but it's good for both buyers and sellers. We just have to find the right deal. But there's homes out there to be bought and there's homes out there to be sold. So give me a call at 925-548-3918 and we'll get it done. You are the best, Bipster. We'll talk to you soon, buddy. Be safe. All right, County. Enjoy the ball game tonight, my friend. Who wouldn't want Bip Roberts to sell their house or help you buy a house? Who? I mean, he tried to help me find find one before we settled on the apartment we moved into. You're a grown man wearing a Star Wars shirt right now. Yeah, what's wrong with that? <laughs> Multiple levels. By the way, we're having a Star Wars night, right? Coming up here with the A's? Yeah. Also, there. Uh, I don't know if you, if you saw the email. We're uh, we're putting ten members of the uh, Philadelphia A's into the Athletics Hall of Fame. Yeah, I uh, I wasn't able to get into my email. Now I can. So it's Connie Mack, Eddie Collins, Eddie Plank, Frank Baker, Chief Bender, Mickey Cochran, the great Double X Jimmy Fox, Lefty Grove, Al Simmons, and Rube Waddle. I believe is how you say his name. Or is it Waddell? I don't know. Feldy Waddell. Feldy, how do you pronounce how do you pronounce Rube's last name? Rube Waddell. The great Rube Waddell. You can't have a Hall of Fame without a guy named Rube. You know, Rube was something of an eccentric. He's been known to lead baseball games. If he, if a fire truck was going by the ballpark, he would literally just leave and follow the fire truck because he loved fires and firemen. Uh, he was, he had, he had a few quirks. <laughs> Are you serious? Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, that's one of the best stories I've ever heard. I'm out of here guys. It's the seventh inning. I'm following the fire truck. <laughs> I, I gotta go. There's a blaze. Oh. <laughs> All righty. This is going to be a special top 10 in honor of our great friend, Ray Fossey, who we're all praying for and hopefully we'll be back sooner than later and also we'll throw in the likes of the hall of famer dennis eckersley it's going to be top 10 guys who played for the indians and the oakland athletics but you always start with your honorable mention yeah i mean these are two of the founding franchises in the american league so there's definitely been some crossover and we'll we'll concentrate on the, the players who played for the oakland a's and and the cleveland indians but if you go back in the history books you know, you're just mentioning these great Philadelphia A's are going into the A's Hall of Fame. Uh, Nap Lajouet, who was the original Philadelphia A in 1901. Uh, he jumped from the National League from the Phillies to play with the A's. Uh, and then the Phillies sued. And so it turned out that the Supreme Court in Philadelphia said, okay, Nap Lajouet, it's fine. You can be on the A's, but you're not allowed to play a professional baseball game in Philadelphia, which would have made it tough for him to continued to be in Hayes. So he ended up going to Cleveland and uh, he had a Hall of Fame career, obviously great in Cleveland. They called the, the, the ball club there, the Cleveland Naps for 12 seasons when he was there. That's how he was beloved. There's also Roger Maris who played for both clubs. Uh, Roger with the Kansas City A's. Satchel Page with the Kansas City A's and, and the Cleveland Indians. So some great crossovers with some historic names. And also Rocky Calavito who just... Uh, celebrated his 88th birthday yesterday. He had 34 homers for the 64 Kansas City A's and had a great career in Cleveland. So some of the older guys and then some of our honorable mentions who don't make this list, and this list has more of a story aspect to it maybe than than most, but some other guys who do deserve to be mentioned, Milton Bradley, 
Tom Candiotti, Mudcat Grant, and in recent times, Nick Swisher and Rajay Davis. You want a little uh, Kansas City A's knowledge? Hit me. So my grandfather, Bob Elliott, was hired to be the manager of the Kansas City Athletics in 1960. He's driving from San Diego to Kansas City. He shows up in Kansas City, and Charles Finley, Charlie Finley has told him he's traded Roger Maris to the Yankees. How do you think the relationship went after that? Oh, man. Let's take one of the best upcoming stars and get rid of them on a, on a bad A's team. That That's brutal. That's a brutal way to start your manager career with the A's. Let's just say the very next year, my grandfather was the first ever first base coach for the Angels. He left. <laughs> he couldn't get out. He couldn't get away from Charlie Finley fast enough. Yes, my grandfather managed the A's in 1960. Nice. All right, number 10. Number 10 is, is one of my favorites. If you were around in the Billy Ball eras of the A's, it's Cliff Johnson. Uh, Cliff Johnson, he's Cliff. Uh, his nickname was. He was a, a catcher, first baseman, DH with the Yankees. And it was actually on their World Series teams. But he gets into a, a, a brawl in the clubhouse with Goose Gossage and severely injures Goose Gossage's thumb. So uh, you can imagine George Steinbrenner not happy about that. <laughs> and quickly, Cliff Johnson is sent to Cleveland. And he flourishes in Cleveland. Right In 79, in the last 72 games, he hits 18 home runs. Things are good. In 1980, he's having a good year, but he's traded to the Cubs. Still, full year, 24 homers, 89 runs batted in. Billy Martin loved Cliff Johnson. So now he saw a chance to, to get him and add him to this 81 A's team who needed a right-handed hitting DH. They still had Mitchell Page from the left side, but they needed somebody from the right side. So he went with Cliff Johnson. And in 81, Cliff was great. This is a strike-shortened year. Still at 17 homers, an 805 OPS, and just scary. And the one thing that Cliff Johnson did, still to this day, watching baseball as long as I have, no one could swing and miss and throw the bat as far as Cliff Johnson did. I mean, it would easily clear the third-base coaching box. That's how far he could throw the bat. Yeah, hurting a star closer is really probably not good for your career. No, no. And it's interesting, too, reading some of the stories about it. Mickey Morabito, the A's current traveling secretary, was the Yankee PR guy at the time. And it was Mickey's job to write the press release about how Cliff Johnson hurt Goose Gossage in the shower and is now being sent to Cleveland. That's unbelievable. Number nine. Number nine, one of, uh, one of my favorites, is Jason Giambi. Um, and we know about his A's career. Uh, which was fabulous, an MVP award, should have won two. Um, but he actually ended his year, his career with the Indians, and it's kind of interesting how he got there. He was with the Colorado Rockies after he left the A's in 09. Um, he's with the Rockies for, for three seasons. At the end of the 2012 season, he actually interviews to be the manager of the Rockies, and which would have been an awesome choice. Jason would make a great manager. He understands the game. He also understands the players of the game. And he would have been just, he would have been tremendous. But he doesn't get the job. It actually goes to another former athletic, Walt Weiss. So Jason says, well, if I'm not going to be a manager, I might as well keep playing. And Terry Francona, who just loved the idea of having a Jason Giambi on his bench at Cleveland, adds Jason to the team. And he's, he was terrific. He was like an extra coach and a skilled pinch hitter. He had three pinch hit home runs in 2013 for, for Cleveland, two of which were walk-offs. And if you go back on YouTube and, and look at Tom Hamilton, the great radio announcer for Cleveland, his calls with Jason Giambi's walk-off, they're legendary. So not really known as being an Indian, but he had a great impact on an Indian team that would eventually become a postseason team. Did I ever tell you about the time Jason Giambi hit like a 600-foot home run off of me in college? I think I've heard that story. Yeah. Still hasn't landed. Uh, you, you know, when 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 was he back? Because we we interviewed him. Do you remember what what, what was the what, what were we honoring when he came back? So that was the 50th anniversary team in 2018 when he was back. So it was like 
I thought, you know, I thought for sure he was going to be a manager. And then all of a sudden he started having kids and, you know, he, yeah. he made enough money. He's not worried about it. But I, I'm like you. I thought he'd be a I think he'd be a great manager. But now it sounds like he's just having fun being dad. Yeah, he's being a dad. And he's also he's got a hitting clinic in Vegas. And he's worked with some of the biggest hitters going right now. Joey Gallo, Chris Bryant, Bryce Harper. Uh, he's worked with Nolan Arenado. Uh, some of the biggest offensive players in the game have worked with Jason Giabi in Vegas. And, I mean, having Jason as a hitting coach, and, and anyway, Jason was so smart baseball-wise. He understood what pitchers were trying to do to get him out and how to combat that. He's been through everything. I still think when these kids get older, which uh, another few years now, I think he's going to look back to getting in the game. And I think he's going to be a tremendous manager. Worst thing that ever happened to him, not financially, but the worst thing that ever happened to him was going to Yankee Stadium because now he got away from who he was being a hitter that had power to all fields, right? He was gap to gap. He could hit it out. He just became a pull hitter. It changed his game. It did. It did. He became that short porch guy. Um, and, you know, he went to Yankee Stadium and he went to the Yankees. You know, it was a lot on him to, to join this Yankee team, which was still a, a fantastic Yankee team. After losing the 2001 World Series, they lost in 2002 in the postseason. Um, but Jason was thought of he was going to be the next great Yankee. He was going to go to the Hall of Fame as a Yankee. There was so much pressure on him. And he had a really good Yankee career, not a superstar Yankee career. He had a couple 40 homer seasons. He had some injuries. Uh, he just was never quite the player he was in Oakland. And I think he hit it on the head. He changed the way he swung the bat. All right, number eight. Number eight, this is Miguel DeLanne. This name, does this ring any bells for you, County? Not one. So, Miguel DeLanne, and for me, 11-year-old kid, he's a small outfielder, but he could fly, speedy. And you know when you're a kid and you see somebody who can run as fast as any, any you know, you watch, like watching Starley Marte now, it's just, it's so exciting to see a guy run that fast. And that was Miguel DeLanne. Uh and in 1978, on a bad A's team, he stole 50 bases. Didn't hit for much. He hit 229, but stole 50 bags. This is Miguel DeLanay. So 1979 rolls around. Jim Marshall is the A's manager. And Miguel DeLanay is not getting any playing time. And this is on a terrible A's team. And so Miguel DeLanay is not happy. He would, when he wasn't in the starting lineup, he wouldn't even wear his jersey. He would wear a warm-up jacket and no jersey underneath, thinking he was never going to play. So now it's June. The A's call up Ricky Henderson, and Miguel DeLanne is pissed. And he literally, in Ricky's debut, it's a doubleheader against Texas, Texas, before the first game, he actually goes after Jim Marshall with a baseball bat in the dugout. That's how upset Miguel DeLanne was about playing time and Ricky being called up and playing ahead of him. Uh, uh, okay, I, I, I was a little kid. But I want to meet this guy. This guy says, <laughs> I love this guy. So Jim Marshall, who's a terrible manager, terrible manager. Uh, he had a great quote, though, afterwards. He said, it's just the frustrations of a young man wanting to play badly. Now, he's ha now he has his chance at AAA. Wow. Good dig. Good dig by Jim Marshall. So a week later, after Miguel DeLanay gets sent down to Ogden, he sold to the Cubs. And then the Indians purchase him in 1980. So now he's got a chance to play. Miguel DeLanne hits 341 for the Indians with an 800 OPS and steals 61 bases. He even receives MVP votes. Miguel DeLanne, this little whippet of a guy. He would end up playing with Cleveland until 1983, bounced around in the big league stage five, but never reaching the heights of a 341 season. With the Indians, and as a young A's fan, I'm like, how could you get rid of Miguel Villanueva? He's 341. Triple A was in Ogden, Utah. Ogden, yeah, yeah, that's where Ricky got called up from. Wow, because I remember uh, they became like the king of the. Uh, they were the Ogden Raptors. They were the king of uh, independent baseball, like in the 90s. Never thought that they would be actual Triple A. All right, number seven. Number seven, this, you know, if you get mentioned in a movie and they make a whole scene about you in a movie, you got to be on the list. And that's Ricardo Rincon. Uh, Indians, left-handed reliever, 
very good from 99 to 02. The A's needed another left-hander. Mike Magnanti wasn't working out. The A's felt that Rincon in the bullpen would be a missing piece. Uh, and you saw the scene in the movie. Billy's on the phone. Or Brad Pitt's on the phone. Uh, making deals. And it really did kind of go down that way. We're just on the phone. Deadline's coming. they got to make the deal. Cleveland happens to be in Oakland. They're playing the A's that night. Uh, and Billy makes the deal. Rucker and Cohen has to go from the Cleveland clubhouse, walk down the hall to the A's clubhouse. And for, for, for Ricardo, it was a little too much to say. He wasn't ready to play that night. It's a little bit of a, it was a little mental strain for him. But he ends up being a very, very important member of the A's bullpen through 2005. He was a really good playoff pitcher for the A's, except for Todd Walker uh, in the 03 ALDS, who homered against him in game one and game four. But Ricardo and Cohen, uh, Good Indian and a really good A. It, it, the, 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 it, it's just crazy to think, yeah, like because we know both clubhouses. It's just crazy to think where the manager's going to come up and go, hey, you need to go play for the other guys. And you need to pack up all your stuff, your, you know, your essentials, your deodorant, your whatever you got in your locker, and you need to pack that up and you need to walk X amount of feet over to the – you got a new team. I mean, that's, yeah. it's just, it's just <laughs> only in baseball. Yeah. You know, we saw it just uh, what, a week and a half ago with Kendall Graveman when he got traded from the Mariners to the Astros, and the Astros were in Seattle at the time. And now here's Graveman on the field in an Astros uniform holding a press conference where he was just a Mariner 15 minutes before. It's amazing. Only in baseball does that happen. Number six. Number six. You know, Field of Dreams game is this week, is tomorrow. Uh, and, and we've mentioned this before. He, he was in the movie. He had a big starring role, and that's Ron Hassey. You could see him in the movie flying out of Fenway Park against Oil Can Boyd. Um, mixing out, but that's Ron Hassey. Ron Hassey, uh, who came up with the Indians, made his big league debut in 78, uh, caught Len Barker's perfect game in 1981. Uh, he actually would go on to catch Dennis Martinez's perfect game 10 years later in 91. He's still the only catcher catch two perfect games but a good Indians catcher uh for seven seasons and he was traded to the Cubs uh but he came to the A's before the 88 season and perfect compliment to Terry Steinbach the left-handed backup catcher off the bench uh he was a perfect veteran influence he ended up becoming Bob Welch's personal catcher and he's also kind of Dennis Eckersley's personal catcher even if Steiny had, had started the game oftentimes Ron Hassey would come in to catch the last inning a uh, uh, painful example of that is game one of the 88 World Series, where Steiny caught the first eight, and then Hassey came in to catch the ninth. Uh, but that was uh, kind of routine, and he was always with Bob Welch in his Cy Young winning year of 1990. He caught all of Bob Welch's starts. Ron Hassey was a very good Indian, but a really, really important member of the Oakland A's. Number five. Number five is the governor, Jerry Brown. Jerry Brown, who was a uh, you know, kind of a Tony Phillips type player can play a lot of different positions. He was with the Indians from 89 to 91. And he was always a tough hitter versus the A's, especially in 91. In nine games, he had 346 against the A's, a homer, a double, two triples, eight RBIs. And as is often the case, when you see a guy kill you consistently, that's the guy you want to acquire. And the A's did that. They went out and signed him for the 92 season. And he had a terrific year for the AL West winning A's. Hit 287. He led the league with 16 sacrifice bunts. Yes, the A's used to bunt. Tony LaRusso was a big fan of it. Uh, he what? played every position. Oh, you, yeah. He loved the bunt. Yeah, yeah. It was, it was allowed and everything. Uh, uh, if you I guess you go back and you watch some of the playoff games, you'll see Mark McGuire lay down a bunt. Mark <laughs> McGuire sacrificing. Um, but Jerry Brown, he played everything but pitcher, catcher, and first base. He was tremendous in the ALCS. He started in center field in game four. And then in game five, in a must win, right? Dave Stewart on the mound and Dave Stewart pitched a complete game. Jerry Brown went four for four and drove in two runs in that game. So just a really important player to fit it into a role, a winning player on a winning team. In 93, his second year with the A's didn't go as well. It was a bad A's team. He was hurt. He didn't play as many games. But for 92, Jerry Brown, such an important cog for a team to win the West. The governor. I absolutely love it. And I wonder. You know, because Sandy Alderson admitted on this program that back in the day when he was making trades and uh, he used to look at, uh, 
He used to look at baseball magazines, Baseball America, help make him make his deals. Yeah. Well, you know, you didn't have quite the information, right? And you didn't have all the, the metrics and everything else. It's just kind of what you saw, what you read. So if you saw a player, the AZ of 91, and he just continually hammered you, you're thinking, this is a good player. He also had great at-bats against Dennis Eckersley. Um, so he was always a thorn in the A side. So if you see that, you're going to go, you know what? We're going to go get that guy. Number four. Number four is Coco Chris. Ah. He's a very good Indian. Uh, you know, he was in, Coco was actually drafted by the Cardinals and was traded to the Indians in 2002 in a Chuck Finley deal. Finley going from the Indians to St. Louis. Uh, but he came up with the Indians in 2002, Coco did, in August of 2002. And he got better every year. I mean, his first year, he had 260. By 2005, he's a 300 hitter with power. So Coco, really good player. Four seasons with the Indians. He had 287, stole 54 bases. But after three years in Boston and one in Kansas City, he signs with the A's. And we know about his A's career. Uh, seven seasons, a re-signing. Signed as a free agent and then re-signed as a free agent. Uh, and when he was healthy, was a very, very talented player because he could catch the ball, he could get on base, he had some power, and he could steal. And he was really good in the postseason. Um, you know, he had a leadoff home run off Verlander. He had a walk-off hit versus the Tigers. He was an important member of the A's for a long time. And one of those few guys, we talked about who wanted to be with the A's, who chose that the A's is where he wanted to play. And he was the, the, the favorite of Billy Bean's kids. And he kept <laughs> re-signing. And... <laughs> You know, let's face it. As you said, not a lot of guys wanted to play here. Coco loved playing here. He did. He, he you know, he's a big Raider fan, and he, he got into the whole Oakland mystique. And, yeah, Coco was a really good fit for the A's. And, you know, those playoff teams early in the decade, Coco was such a big part of them. Number three. Another guy was a big part of those playoff teams, and that's uh, Big Sexy, Bartolo Colon. Barty. You know, Bar Bartolo signed with the Indians out of the Dominican Republic at the age of 19 uh, in 1993. So after some years in the minors, he makes his debut in 97. He's an all-star with the Indians in 98. In 99, he finishes fourth in the Cy Young voting. Um, you know, and he was a flamethrower, and he was on the mound, and he was, you know, it wasn't the tallest guy. I still, still not the tallest guy, but he had that power. Um, and in 2002, he's 10-4 at the end in June. And he actually gets traded to the Expos in a deal that got the Indians, Cliff Lee, Grady Sizemore, Brandon Phillips, and Lee Stevens. I and mean, that's a heck of a haul for Bartolo Colon to get those players. Uh, Cliff Lee, Grady Sizemore, Brandon Phillips, you know, all all-stars, uh, borderline Hall of Famers in, in Cliff Lee. Um, that's how good Bartolo was. And he actually goes to Montreal and won another 10 games and won 20 games that year. Um, but he comes to Oakland, you know, after some arm injuries and some you know, stints with the Yankees and the Red Sox. And in 2012 and 2013, uh, he's 28 and 15 over those two seasons. He's an ERA under three. He's an all-star and just a great teammate and a great, lovable guy to have around. Bartolo Colon, one of the best. You know, he made well over $100 million in his career. I remember looking yeah. at that, and I was just I, – I, I was shocked. And I was also shocked, I'll never forget, getting off the freeway and pulling into the Coliseum and hearing that he tested positive for PEDs. And I remember that guy had an all-world boiler. It just goes to show, uh, and it's not like Melky Cabrera was in the best shape either. It just goes to show we had no idea who was on it and who wasn't. No. And the thing to remember um, – in this last you know, decade and a half, the guys who've been suspended in those years, the A's have not failed to make the playoffs, right? 2012 made the playoffs. Frankie Montas in 2019 made the playoffs. So Ramon Laureano, I think we're going three for three. I think they still have a great chance to make the playoffs. Number two. And number two is the mule, the guy we love, Ray Fossey. And just I'll talk a little bit about his Cleveland career. Um, you know, he's the seventh overall pick in 1965, the first ever MLB draft. He's the seventh overall pick out of high school, Marion High School in Illinois. Um, to put that in perspective, Johnny Bench was also in that draft, and he was selected 36th. 
Ray Fossey was selected seven. And Ray was a tremendous athlete to play football. Alabama and Bear, Bear Bryant, they wanted him to come to Alabama and play football. You know, Bear Bryant says he wants you. It's hard to say no. Yeah. Um, but, but Ray, he, he signs with the Indians. And at 20 years of age, Ray makes his major league debut in 1967. And he actually makes it against the Kansas City A's in his first major league at bats against Blue Moon Odom. It's, you know, again, a little storybook. Um, you know, he really wasn't ready to play yet. He was still a minor league at this point. Spent all 68 in AAA. Comes up in 69, plays 37 games. It's his first big league homer of Dave Wickersham of the Royals. Uh, but now 1970 comes around. Ray takes hold of the starting catching position. Uh, hits 307 with 18 home runs. He's an all-star, wins a gold glove. But that doesn't tell the story of that year because that's the year that Pete Rose, Rose barrels into him in the all-star game. And we've all saw, seen the clip. I mean, Ray just gets laid out, right? But x-rays don't show anything because they don't have all the, the fancy MRI machines and, and the equipment that we have now. This is 1970. And so he was his shoulder was so swollen, it hid what was eventually diagnosed as a fracture and a shoulder separation, all right? So he gets diagnosed with a bad bruise, but he's got a fractured shoulder. And this is Ray Fossey, first game out of the All-Star break, He's playing. He's in the game. He only missed three games after the All-Star break. After fracture, you know, and it wasn't until he fractured a finger in early September that he actually shuts it down. But, you know, the numbers tell you the story. Before the All-Star break, 16 homers, 13 doubles. After the All-Star break, two homers, four doubles. I mean, he just had nothing. His shoulder was broken, misdiagnosed, and he only misses three games with it. Uh, Ray's unbelievable. 71, he's voted to start the All-Star game, but unfortunately Ray had tore a ligament in his left hand and kept him out. But he still has a very nice year, wins another gold glove. And then after a good 72 season, Ray's traded to Oakland near the end of spring training. You know, this is weeks away from the season starting. He gets traded for Dave Duncan and George Hendricks. And Ray's just, you know, he's perfect for this A's staff. Catches 141 games in 73. It works in harmony with, with Catfish and Holtzman and Vida. Uh, brilliant. And then 74, he gets injured again. He gets injured doing what? Breaking up a fight between Reggie and Billy North at the Detroit clubhouse. Um, but in the postseason that year, Ray's healthy. He's a big three-run homer in game two of the ALCS versus the Orioles. And then a World Series home run off Don Sutton in game five. So, I mean, Ray, this is what we talk about how tough this guy is. I mean, nothing keeps him down, especially it's just the way he, he's, he's hard-headed, but he's also a workaholic, and he's going to play through anything. He's not going to show you any pain. Um, you know, he's so old school um, with the way he played baseball. After 75, he got no playing time. Uh, at that point, Gene Tennis was catching. Rudy was at first, Claude L. Washington the left. So he gets sold back to the Indians. And Ray, after barely playing in 75, in 1976, hits 301 for the Indians. And, of course, he catches Dennis Eckersley's no-hitter um, in 77. It's just it's unbelievable. Ray was selected as one of the Indians' 100 greatest players back in 2001. I mean, that is telling you something. And a franchise that's been around since 1901, that Ray was considered one of the 100 greatest players in that franchise's history. Well, we know he's a big deal here. But he's a really big deal in Cleveland. I've been with him in Cleveland. And, I mean, when, when the team got off the bus, nobody cared. All they cared about was Ray Fossey. All the autographs, they had pictures of him. Uh, and then you walk around the ballpark with Ray. And I actually went with Ray out to Heritage Park where he has his plaque right next to Dwayne Kuyper. And everybody, I mean, Ray's a big deal in Cleveland, man. People absolutely they love him, and of course we love him, and we miss him. He means so much to all of us. Number one. Number one is the Hall of Famer, Dennis Eckersley. Um, and again, we know we know about his A's career. But he started with the Indians. Another a high school draft pick out of Washington Union High School in Fremont. Cleveland took him with the, in the third round of the 72 draft. Um, at the age of 20, he makes his major league debut in 1975. And we spend three years with the Indians. Good years. He was an all-star in 77, threw a no-hitter in 77, um, overall 3.23 ERA. 
but there was some stuff off the field happening, right? So he's traded to the Red Sox with Fred Kendall at the end of spring training in 1978. And look who the Indians got. Ted Cox, Bo Diaz, Mike Paxton, and an aging Rick Wise, a 32-year-old pitcher. Uh, Eck was only 23. Um, so really, it was all about getting rid of Eck. And the reason why, and, Ray, and, and Eckersley has talked about this, uh, he's even jokes about it, which is amazing, is it turned out that his best friend on the team, Rick Manning, was having an affair with his wife. So here's Dennis Eckersley coming home and saying, hi, honey, I got traded to Boston. We got to move. And she's saying, nope, I'm staying here with Rick. It's it's wild. I, I, I mean, it's hard to believe. And obviously these guys still see each other because Rick's still broadcasting for the Indians, right? He is. Man. Yeah. And, and Eck, Eck is really the most – He's one of the most honest athletes I, I, I've ever been around. Yeah, yeah, he does. He, he is so honest, and he wears his emotions on his sleeves, and he doesn't hold anything back. Um, and that's why I think he can talk about this, because he was always pretty honest about what happened. It was no secret. right? That's why the trade really happened. The Indians knew what was going on. And, you know, Rick Manning had gotten hurt in 77. He was actually staying with the Eckersleys in their house while he was rehabbing. Oh. And supposedly that's where this affair started. Um, and, you know, for Eck to, to get that, that, that body blow and then move and his daughter is staying with the mom in Cleveland while he's in Boston. And he's still, again, only 23, so much to take in such a tough time. Um, but again, he's always been honest about it. And him and Rick Manning have, have repaired the relationship. I, I don't know really how close they are. They, they do have another thing in common. They've, both divorced the same woman because Rick Manning did end up marrying ex first wife, but they, they divorced as well. So they do have that in common. <laughs> but you know how he turned around his career and, and, and defeated alcohol and to become one of the greatest pitchers of all time. Uh, Dennis Eckersley. Cause you know, for now you're getting into my era, you know, late eighties to me is my favorite era of baseball. And nobody was better than Dennis Eckersley. He was at, I mean, I wish I would have been able to see Raleigh fingers in the seventies. Uh, even when Raleigh won the Cy Young, I was still pretty young. Uh, Raleigh is truly one of the great relief. I think you make a case. He's the greatest reliever of all, of all time. But I mean, if you're going to have a Mount Rushmore, X got to be up there when you're talking about all time closers. Yeah. And the way they changed the role, Raleigh was a multi inning closer. He was what was called a fireman, right? He would come in, with runners on base, be it the sixth, seventh, eighth inning, didn't matter. He'd come in and put out the fire, started by the starter, and then he finished the game. Where Eck, with Tony LaRusso and Dave Duncan kind of putting this into play, was more of the one inning, start the ninth inning, um, and pitch that one inning. Um, now, it didn't always be that way. In 88, he did pitch multiple innings, a little bit more, two innings, but eventually he became that one inning closer, which we're now seeing is more of the standard than anything else. But nobody did it as well as Eck, and Eck didn't walk anybody. He never walked anybody. And the key to being a really top-flight closer, in my opinion, is no walks and no home runs. Because you know you're pitching in a close game. Uh, if you put guys on base and then you give up homers, um, you're going to be in trouble. And Eck, except for a couple very notable home runs that we all know about, uh, was stingy in the home run department and in the walk department. Well, we're out of time, but what a great list. You knocked it out of the ballpark. Great stuff, buddy, and we'll uh, we'll see you after this road trip. All right. Thanks, Tony. Feldy with another solid list, Commander. Greatest Indians and greatest A's. I mean, I'm a little disappointed. No Tori Lovello. No uh, Adam Rosales. No Dan Otero. No Josh Donaldson. But he did get Milton Bradley on there. So I was I was waiting to see if Milton would make the list, <laughs> and Michael Michael Dreddy did not make the list. So what what happened to Milton Bradley? Uh, well, his temper got the best one most of the time. So yeah, I remember there were some major issues in L.A. All right, so I'll be back in ten minutes. Are we going to be playing anything? Uh, we're gonna have no. We're not gonna have enough time playing. So it'll be just some commercial spots, and then we'll get to Ace Total Access with you. Can't wait. We want to thank 
Pip Roberts, Dave Feldman for stopping by A's Cast Live. We'll see you in 10. The host of Giants pregame and Bay Area baseball historian Marty Lurie was on A's Cast Live and explained how Townie has now become the new marathon man for pre- and post-game shows. You have eclipsed me. You are unbelievable how much content you put out, and the A's are so lucky to have you there. I don't know how you do it every day. I did it for 25 years, and uh, you're still doing it in the most strong fashion, and I commend you for it. You, you, you are a, a tremendous treasure to Oakland A's baseball, believe me. To listen to the full interview and much more, go to athletics.com slash A's cast. A's fans, join us for the biggest music festival in the fall. It's the inaugural Battle Axe and Tracks Music Festival, held October 2nd and 3rd in Carson City, Nevada. Grammy Award nominees Kenny Wayne Shepard, Larkin Poe, Samantha Fish, and North Mississippi All-Stars are just four of the 15 acts. Festival activities also include axe throwing and freedom rail bike tours. Tickets on sale now with VIP two-day and single-day tickets available. Check out the full schedule at BattleAxeandTracks.com. That's BattleAxeandTracks.com. Your loan personalized. Whether you're planning your next vacation, backyard landscaping, or even consolidating debt, First United Credit Union can help you check off your to-do list with rates as low as 5.9% APR. Apply online or at any of their East Bay branches. Visit firstunitedcu.org forward slash athletics for details. Insured by NCUA. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics.